0: Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own doctor. Do you know the most common cause of death in the United States? Heart disease. And it's only getting worse. Statistics have shown that 10 times more people die from atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease each year than all cancers combined. That sounds like a mouthful, and, well, it is. How can you prevent it? Well, in honor of Valentine's Day, we're talking about your heart and how to keep healthy, no matter how many candles are on your birthday cake. Dr. Laura lyra cardiologist, is in the studio, and she's an expert in the diagnosis and treatment of heart disease. We'll be taking your calls in just a few minutes at 941-3689 or from the neighbor islands at 877-941-3689. First in medical news, speaking of Valentine's Day, well, there's a free community event that's taking place this current Saturday, February 15th from about 8.30 in the morning till noon. And this is actually an event put on by Hawaii Pacific Health to talk about heart disease. In particular, program co-chairs Mark Grattan and Laura Lyra Pique and speakers are going to be there covering a wide variety of topics. Some of the topics they're going to talk about are going to include a patient experience story. They're going to talk a little bit about what happens if you've had heart disease and gone through the process of having surgery and what does that really mean for you and how does that affect you? And Basically, all the different things about that whole process. We're also going to talk about CPR made easy. Now, Pamela Foster, she was on our show back in December talking about automatic external defibrillators. She's going to talk about the new CPR guidelines, which are a little bit different than some people may think. No longer will you have to do breathing. You will be able to do pumping and do the CPR action using compressions. And there's easier ways to make this more accessible to people in the public. We also have another one of our guests from the past, Dr. Jeremy Lum. He was on about a year ago or so, and he's going to talk about living with arrhythmias. Mm -hmm. One of the most common arrhythmias out there is called atrial fibrillation. This is a particular problem that occurs when your heart goes irregular. And in this situation, it can cause a problem that results in your heart beating a little bit differently. So he's going to talk about how you can live well with arrhythmias. We've got some more information about stroke prevention and treatment and how you should act fast. We have Laura Miller. She's been on as a news guest before and talking about headache medicine and epileptology with seizures, she's going to talk a little bit about strokes and what that means for when people have a difficulty with having problems with a stroke. Now, early warning signs of stroke, numbness or tingling of your hands or feet, difficulty moving a limb or moving a body part, these are always things that can be concerning. And we're going to talk with Dr. Miller about what you should do if you have some of those early signs or symptoms of a stroke. We're also going to talk with Dr. Amy Corliss about supportive care in heart failure. Now, heart failure is a diagnosis, which results in problems when you have difficulties with your heart not able to pump as well. And in that scenario, we're going to talk about what you can do if you or a loved one has a heart problem or has been diagnosed with heart failure. Now, this is an excellent conference, and we're going to spend our hour today talking about heart disease. But if you want to be part of the Valentine in Paradise conference, again, it's a free community event taking place at the Al Hotel Hibiscus Ballroom that's going to occur again this Saturday from 830 to noon. But if you don't want to come into town, there's going to be a video conference at Polymomy Medical Center and also access over to our friends on Kauai at Wilcox Memorial Hospital. Now, if you want more information, you can always go ahead and call Hawaii Pacific Health Conference Services at 522 3469. You can also go online to hawaiipacifichealth.org/slash valentine in paradise. But you know, it's It's building up pretty quickly. Usually there's several hundred participants. And if you want to hear more about how to be heart smart here in the islands, this is a conference for you. Now, one of our program chairs, Dr. Laura lyra is in the studio. We're going to talk a little bit today about heart disease. And, you know, first we're going to start with the heart having three big basic components. Let's think about our heart like a building. So you've got the structure, which is sort of the different chambers of the heart, top and bottom. You've got the plumbing, and that's what we're going to talk some time today about. Those are the arteries that supply blood to the heart, and that's where people talk about blockages, and that's where people talk about stents in arteries and bypass surgery. That's really where we're going to be spending some time today. There's also the electrical system. That's the system that directs the heartbeat and tells your heart how fast to go or how slow to go. We've had issues before talking about fibrillation, and we'll talk about that again in a few months, um, but that's another system of the heart. Each one of these can be the source of a problem. The most common one is the plumbing system, and when that gets clogged, blockages happen. What happens next? Well, keep listening. There are some things you can do right now to try and fix your risk of developing blockages in your arteries. Dr. Laura lyra is here in the studio. She is an invasive cardiologist at Straub Clinic and Hospital. And if you've had heart disease or know somebody who has, you can join us at 941 on Oahu, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. Ipique, welcome to The Body Show.
1: Thank you, Kathy. It's very nice to be here.
0: Well, it's good to have you here. Now, I want to go over some basics because a lot of times I see people in the office and they're not quite sure when we talk about cholesterol what all these different numbers mean. So we're going to be talking about heart disease, and a lot of it has to do with cholesterol. What are, what's the difference? Good cholesterol, bad cholesterol, triglycerides? Do I care about all of them? Do I just pick on one of them? What is the deal with cholesterol and how does it affect me? Well, the main reason
1: we care about cholesterol at all is we're worried about the plaque that builds up in your arteries and the blockage. You know, it obstructs the blood flow. And when they've actually opened up the arteries and scraped off whatever it is that's causing this blockage, a a major part of that is cholesterol. So that's why we care at all about what your cholesterol levels are. Because statistically, if your cholesterol levels are high, you're more likely to have heart disease. But what I tell people is you don't always get what you deserve. So some people have high cholesterol levels, and they don't have heart disease. Other people have heart disease, and they don't have high cholesterol levels. That doesn't sound fair. No, it's not fair at all, unfortunately. But unfortunately, that's the way it is. So there's cholesterol, and then we had to look farther. So there are different types of cholesterol. There's HDL, there's LDL, VLDL, and lipoprotein, and all these other little things that only the scientists know under the microscope. And so we looked... Is there something that's more statistically uh, associated than just a plain cholesterol level? And that's where we've come up with the good and the bad cholesterol levels. So the bad cholesterol is, if you look at your lab sheet, the LDL cholesterol. and you It's like, like low, lousy, lousy. LDL. Okay. Yeah, lousy LDL. That's the bad one. And if you have high levels of that, you're more likely to have heart disease. So high means definitely greater than 130 is high. Where we want you to be is less than 130, but we really want you to be less than 100. For everybody? For the general public, as I like to say. If you've had heart disease, we want it even lower. But the fact remains, no matter what your cholesterol level is, if you have heart disease, if you have proven plaque, your level is too high for you. Your body, it's not just the level, it's what your body does with it. So even though you can say, I know I had a heart attack, but my cholesterol level is not that high, you still need
0: to do something about that cholesterol because your body's not dealing with it correctly. So that's our LDL. So that's the stuff that really, it kind of clogs up the arteries. Right. It causes these blockages. And no matter what it is, if you have had a diagnosed heart problem from blockages, how low can you go with that LDL?
1: Well, we want to see it less than 70. And that's okay. That's okay now, statistically, people you would say you know isn't it bad to have a cholesterol level that low and it's true that statistically um, if you get your cholesterol if you have very low cholesterol levels, statistically you have a higher risk of dying or having disease, but that's because very sick people have very low cholesterol levels, for example, if you're very sick with cancer, if you're very malnourished if you have bad kidney failure, essentially if you're on the verge of dying, your cholesterol levels will be very low because your body has used it all up. So that's different than taking a healthy person and lowering their cholesterol. So it's a statistical thing. But when it comes to lowering cholesterol levels with heart disease, we have not found a level that's
0: too low that causes a problem. Well, and you know, I know they've done some studies on some folks who have fairly vegetarian diets. And they were looking at some some people they were doing an analysis of. And I think it was, it was somewhere in Southeast Asia. I don't know if it was – I think it was Vietnam, but it might have been in Thailand. And they were looking at what their LDLs were because here are people who don't eat a lot of red meat, and they also don't tend to have as much of a cholesterol problem and a heart disease problem in the group that they were looking at. This was mainly agriculture outside of the city. And they found that these guys – and they were looking just at guys, but they found that they had – LDL cholesterol levels in the 30s and 40s, perfectly healthy, no major problem. This was normal for them. Right. So the actual, actual level is really dependent on what your body needs, but it's not like we really envision it going too low. We really haven't found that bottom limit Correct. yet Yes. If in otherwise healthy people. So that's our LDL. What about our HDL, our high, happy HDL? How do we get that, and why can't I have more? Oh, poor HDL. So HDL seems to work in your body
1: as um, something that runs around and picks up the bad cholesterol and gets rid of it so it doesn't deposit into plaques. So we want as much HDL or happy uh, cholesterol as possible. Um, if you're a woman, you already have a bit of an advantage because HDL levels tend to be higher in women already. The problem with HDL is although it's if you have a high HDL, you have a lower risk of heart disease, it's very difficult to get your HDL level to go up. The best way to make it go up is exercise, and we're talking vigorous aerobic exercise. That's the best way to get your HDL cholesterol up. We have not found any medications that are very helpful. Um, There aren't particularly any foods that I know of that will increase it. Supplements, fish oil may help. the omega three type uh, supplements may help. Niacin might help, but but mostly it's exercise. That's about the only thing. There's no easy answer. There's no easy answer. The interesting thing about HDL two is, um, you know, because it seems to reduce the risk of heart disease. One of the biggest research projects for the uh, drug companies has been trying to find a medication that raises HDL levels, and they actually have found some that raise HDL levels. The problem is, it does not translate into protecting you from heart disease. So.
0: I don't even know if we're going to be able to find a pill that's going to answer this. It's still going to be exercise. All right. So HDL, the only way to get more exercise is genetics, it's gender, it's exercise. Right. You can't. There's no cheater's way to get it. Not really. Not yeah. reliably. You got to exercise. That's, that's kind of the deal. Yeah. Now, I've seen some folks, and they've doubled their HDL with exercise. And it was rigorous activity, but it was also consistent. You know, it wasn't like, I'm going to go run 10 miles on Saturdays only. It was, I'm going to do a little bit of exercise every single day. And because I'm going to do something every day consistently for months at a time, I'm going to see an improvement in my HDL. If you just exercise once a month or maybe once a week, it's probably not going to give you the same yeah, effect. Yeah, that's not going to do it because your body your body's smarter than that. You can't trick it. We can try. <laughs> you know, I'll tell myself I'm not hungry, but the body says yes you are. Yeah. So, all right. So, we've got to make sure that we're we're choosing our cholesterol well. Now, what about triglycerides? Cuz you know, this is sort of an interesting thing. 80% of triglycerides are not cholesterol. It's like sugar and alcohol and other stuff. And 20% is cholesterol. So when we look at triglycerides, how much of a risk factor is that for heart disease? Triglycerides, of course, there's this other fat that runs around in your body, and it isn't
1: cholesterol. Uh, statistically, it is still associated with heart disease, but it may be associated more with the other diseases that can also cause heart disease. They may be markers of things like diabetes is really the main one. Um, So it is a risk. It's maybe not as strong a risk as a high LDL level. It seems to be more of a risk in women. So if you're a woman with a high triglyceride level, it is very important. What's interesting about high triglycerides is sometimes if they're very high, you can actually see it in the blood sample. I like to call it the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah.
0: You know, because if you actually see it in the blood sample, it's supposed to be nice and clear. And everything looks cloudy and opaque and like egg yolky. Yeah, that's got to be bad. Yeah, good, bad, and ugly cholesterol. So, our total cholesterol is a combination of all three of these. Right, and so, all those other ones. So, and the VLDL and those. So, those right now, like if you were to do a cholesterol panel in, in my office, you would get a total cholesterol. Right. You would get triglycerides. Mm-hmm. You would get a good cholesterol, mm-hmm. and you would get a bad cholesterol. Right. We don't routinely measure all these other little cholesterol particles. They're kind of all incorporated into your bad cholesterol. Right. Unless we find that you have a very particular problem and we have to do investigations. But for most folks, if they just know they're good and bad and triglycerides, that's pretty good information. That is true. Um, We can get the other information.
1: It's more difficult. It's more expensive. It's not clear how statistically significant it is for most people. It might not help you. That's right. Because most people can get,
0: um, we can use the, the usual numbers rather than going into that specific detail. So if anybody out there has their cholesterol numbers, here's what I want you to do. I want you to add your good guys, your HDL. I want you to add your bad guys, your LDL. And I want you to take your triglycerides and divide them by five. So that equation is your total cholesterol. That's your total equals your good and your bad and 20% of your ugly. So if you ever wonder how come my total seems to be less than those triglycerides or how come my total doesn't add up with all these numbers, that's the secret. That's why. Because it's a combination of these numbers. It's not just the number by itself. So we have to take 20% of triglycerides, good guys and bad guys, and that's how we come up with the total. So now cholesterol is one element of heart disease. Dr. Piquet, what else do we worry about? You mentioned diabetes. Blood pressure fits in here somewhere. Are all these things risks for people having problems with their heart?
1: These are all very important risks, and I think most of us have heard about them before. Certainly having high blood pressure increases your risk of having heart disease, Diabetes is a very strong risk for having heart disease, um, the cholesterol we talked about. It all has to do, I think, with the injury that can happen to the inside of your blood vessels because that's what starts a plaque. It's not even so much just the cholesterol level. You have to have some sort of irritation or injury to the inside of your blood vessels. And as the heart, as the body tries to repair that, it brings in all these things like platelets, which can lead to a blood clot forming. That uh, cholesterol can start trying to heal it up and get under there, and it just— starts to form this plaque. So if you have high blood pressure, just the shear forces cause some irritation and injury to your blood vessels. Um, diabetes also affects the endothelium or the inside lining of your blood vessels. So those are the things, I think, that that's why you
0: get plaque and heart disease with those diseases. And so optimally, if you wanted to keep your heart healthy, you'd really want to know what your cholesterol is, get that LDL down as low as possible, you know, hopefully below 100 at least if you don't have another problem. You'd also want to keep your sugars nice and normal, keep your blood pressure down, three things. And if there was one thing you could do today to start working on that, what would that be? Well, I would say... Exercise. It's dinner time. Exercise and dinner. You know, yeah. you've got
1: to think both of those. Exercise is, is um, you know, it's, uh, you hate to tell people to do it. And they already know they should do it. But it really makes a huge difference, I think. I started exercising recently. And I wish I could tell you I lost a lot of weight from it. And, it's, and I haven't. But I think my heart is happier. Um, I handle my stress better. I sleep better at night. Um, I actually have more energy. Now, most people tell you, if I don't want to exercise because I'm already tired. But you will have more energy if you exercise.
0: So the argument of I don't have time, mm-hmm. I don't have energy, really, you got to get out there and do it because if you don't, you're going to start this downward spiral. That's right.
1: And, and exercise will help a lot of things. It can help control your diabetes. It can help control your blood pressure. It will help you lose weight. Just exercising reduces your risk of heart disease. It, it affects so many things, and it's just one intervention. And you don't need a lot of equipment. Put on your shoes. That's right. Put on your shoes and walk. Now, a lot of people tell me they are walking, and that's a good thing to do. It's a great place to start. you got to do something. Anything is better than nothing. But a lot of times we get into this habit of, you know, just kind of strolling, seeing what's out there, feeding the cats or whatever. And, um, you know, again, it's better than nothing. But if you want to make progress, you really have to push yourself a little bit because your body knows how to relax and kind of cheat, and then it's not
0: working that hard anymore. So you gotta get out of breath. Yeah, I mean, in a good way, not in a oh my god, I can't go any further way, but in a good way that you're you're actually breathing heavy, you're using yeah. your heart, you're keeping your heart healthy, all these things together. Right. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with Dr. Laurel pique We are talking about heart disease Valentine's Day is Friday, and if you want to give somebody you love the best gift ever. Help them to keep their heart healthy, or maybe you keep yours healthy for them. If you've got a question, you can give us a call at 941-3689. Toll free from the Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about what's the next step. So once you get these blockages and plaques, what can you do about it? All right, we'll be right back. Stay with us.
2: Graduating high school is tough enough, forget starting college.
0: It's partly such a hard transition in the first year because they're encountering several kinds of
3: culture shock. So many students over the years have come home at Thanksgiving and not gone back to college.
2: I'm Kai Rizdolf, first-generation students, next time on Marketplace from APN. This evening at 6, following The Body Show.
3: I wish that I had told you, though I don't know what words I would have used. Maybe I would have said that I'm in love with a woman. The film I Am
1: chronicles the journey of an Indian lesbian filmmaker who confronts the loss of never having been able to come out to her mother before she died. I'm Sarah McConnell. Join me for With Good Reason. Thursdays at 6.30 on Hawaii Public Radio.
0: Aloha. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with invasive cardiology expert Dr. Laura Lyra-Pique. She's at Straub Clinic and Hospital. And if you go to the hospital in the emergency room, have symptoms of a heart attack, and they think you might have blockages, she's the doctor they call. So if you have a question and you want to find out an answer or you, you wonder if your risks for heart disease are pretty significant, you can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Now, before the break, we were talking about block blockages and plaques in the arteries. So what if you have a bunch, Dr. Pika, if, if you do go to the ER and you're in a situation where, you know, you're having symptoms of a heart attack and they're worried and they say, we need to take take a look at what these arteries look like. What exactly is an angiogram, and how big of a deal is this? Well, an angiogram is
1: an x-ray picture of your heart arteries. When you take this regular x-ray of your heart, you just get the shadow of your heart. You really don't see the arteries. The arteries sit on top of your heart, and in order to see them or to see if they're open or shut or if they're big or small, you need to inject contrast material into them and then take the x-ray while you're injecting. Now, these arteries are really small. They're only like three millimeters in diameter, and the heart moves every time it beats, right? So it's a little bit more difficult to image than other arteries in your body that are bigger and stay still. So we want to inject the contrast right into those arteries around your heart, not through an IV. So we have to get inside your body to do that. And the way we usually get there is through this artery in your groin, in your your groin, in your femoral area, or we can go through the artery in your wrist, the radial artery. Um, It's a pretty minor procedure, as far as procedures go, it is invasive or going inside your body. But the incision that you get is, I mean, it's like half a millimeter or it's a couple of millimeters in diameter. It's it's really not even an inch long. Um, It's local anesthetic. So, you know, you get that bee sting that stings and burns and it gets numb. Um, You get sedation for the procedure. It's not a major surgery, so you don't go completely under. You're not on a breathing machine. You can be a little bit awake during the procedure, but most people fall asleep. Once we put that catheter, that tube into your artery, um, you really don't feel anything much after that, and most people fall asleep. We then advance this catheter up your aorta, up to your heart, and then we inject the contrast in the arteries, and we can see their outline. And you don't feel any of that either.
0: So what are you looking for? You're looking for percentage of Blockage. Right. Well, hopefully you're looking to see there everything's okay. Right. But if it's not okay, you're looking at these blockage percentages. What's the average for most people? I mean, are we all walking around there with like a twenty percent blockage, or you know, does it not become serious until it hits fifty, sixty, seventy percent? Well, pretty much, um, you know, most unfortunately, a lot of people over the age of twenty
1: or even around the age of eighteen may have little flat plaque, a little bit of cholesterol built up in their arteries, and we may not detect that on an angiogram. You can have some plaque built up in your arteries, and it may be obstructing your artery up to about fifty or sixty percent and you probably won 't have symptoms and it probably won 't actually reduce the effect of blood flow to your heart, but once it gets to seventy five percent or more, especially if it 's eighty or ninety it very it, it is restricting the blood flow to your heart, the supply to your heart, and your heart is not happy about it and that
0: 's what leads to damage heart attacks and and other sorts of major problems to the heart that can really affect you lifelong. Right.
1: So when the artery is narrowed and your blood flow is restricted to the heart, the symptoms that you get are, well, classically, the doctor's always going to say chest pain. But if the patients will tell you the truth, it's usually not pain. It's more of a pressure or tightness. You may have enough blood flow getting to your heart at rest, but when you try and exert yourself, you try and walk up the hill or up the stairs and your heart needs more blood, it can not increase the blood flow through that narrowed area. And that's when you'll get the discomfort. So that's the classic angina or angina, which is discomfort in your chest that occurs with exertion and it goes away when you rest.
0: And that's a sign that your heart's not getting the blood flow, which you can trace back and say it's probably one of those arteries that's narrowed with plaque. Right. So you can potentially go in there and fix some of those arteries. If they have plaque, you can put in a stent of some kind. Right.
1: So what we want to do at that point is hopefully prevent the artery blockage from getting any worse. So that's where we have to make sure your cholesterol is under control and your blood pressure and that sort of thing. But if it really is restricting blood flow to your heart enough to where your heart is being affected by it, where you're being affected by it, you have chest pain, you can't exercise, then we would consider trying to restore more blood flow to the heart, whether it be um, by doing an angioplasty, which is putting a balloon across the blocked area and inflating the balloon, getting more blood flow that way, putting in a stent, which is usually done with an angioplasty, and a stent is a little coil of metal that goes in the artery and then stays there to help hold it open. Or if you have a lot of narrowing in your heart arteries, then bypass surgery
0: may be the best thing for you. Oh, the big bad bypass surgery. All right. We'll get to that in just a minute. We've got a caller on the line. We've got Nick from Honolulu. Nick, welcome to The Body Show. Howdy. Howdy. How are you today? All right. All right. Good. No chest pain? No chest pressure?
2: <laughs> no, I'm uh, I'm only 34 years old.
0: Well, you know, so am I in my dreams. All right. <laughs> I'm a bit older than that. But tell me a little bit. What can we do for you today? What's happening?
2: All right. Well, I'm an outlier, I guess. Uh, I'm in the military. Um uh, an elite group of the military rescue. And uh my cholesterol's been slowly climbing since my early twenties. Now I'm up in for total cholesterol of three sixty, three eighty. Wow. wow. I, I work out all the time. Uh you know, I get depressed if I don't work out. Um sometimes I can't sleep that night. I eat well, uh not a lot of red meat, um lots of veggies, fruits, grains. Uh, <laughs> so
0: you 're doing everything right. your total cholesterol is three hundred and sixty to three hundred and eighty yeah that's wild. <laughs> How, tell so, me about your family like what's going on? you know did everybody live a long, healthy life Did you know everybody on the guy's side or the girl's side have heart problems what's happening there
2: Good question uh, no heart problems chronically uh, my uh paternal parents both died oh in their 70s probably from heart attacks um but um my dad's grandmother lived till she was 98 and her blood was pink like you guys were talking earlier she ate a donut and a danish every day for breakfast and wow terrible eating habits
0: well, don't make me hungry. It's dinner time. But, you know, <laughs> donuts and danishes are not on my list. But it's so interesting because, you know, Dr. Pique, you said earlier in the show, you don't always get what you deserve. Now, not to suggest that people deserve heart attacks. Right. But, you know, here's poor Nick. He's got, what, three sixty three eighty. Right. Not fair. You're exercising, Nick. You're eating right. You're doing all the right stuff. What can somebody like this? I mean, if it's Nick, what was the lowest cholesterol you've ever had?
2: Oh, probably about 180.
0: You know, that's interesting because my first thought is genetic. But if your lowest right. cholesterol is 180, uh, Dr. Peek, do we see stuff like this? Like people when they're teens and 20s, they've got this great low cholesterol. Boom, they hit their 30s and they're like 380, but they're doing everything right. Nick, that, you are an outlier, I'll tell you, and, and in a good way because you're doing all this elite rescue and in a – bad way with your cholesterol.
1: Yeah, that is rather unusual. Usually, if it's a familial cholesterol problem, you're going to see it already when they're in their teens or in their 20s. So the fact that it's going up now suggests that there's something going on. But, you know, it sounds like you're doing all the right things. Now, um, this is the other thing about high cholesterol levels, is that statistically, you are at high risk of having heart disease, statistically. But we all know like I said, that some people have high cholesterol levels and don't have heart disease. Um, especially if it doesn't run in your family very strongly, you may this may not be an issue for you, but it, it's really hard to say. Um, that number would basically scare all the cardiologists because we are worried about your risk. I think the thing to do is really continue what you're doing, um, you know, be very diligent about the things that you can do with diet and exercise, and um, You know, I think you should have a stress test probably, you know, more often than some people, although that doesn't guarantee anything. At least I think we're being a little bit more vigilant.
2: Certainly. Um, Also, over the years, as it's been climbing, I get a lot of harassment from the docs, like you're saying. Uh, I don't want to go on statins, but there's not a lot of research out there referencing younger folks like me. It's always the older population that the studies uh, look at.
1: Right. You know, it's interesting. I work with a pediatric cardiologist right now, and he was telling me about some um, data that says you should actually start treating pediatric patients with statins by the age of 10, because that's, if their cholesterol levels are that high at that age, that's when the damage actually starts, rather than waiting until they've had high levels for this long. Of course, that doesn't quite apply to you because your levels were low earlier. But um, apparently, there is some thought uh, among the pediatricians just coming out, that it may be safe in certain uh, circumstances. Um, it's really hard to know what to do. But um, you know, statins are not the they're they're very good. They have their place, and they certainly have been have the best statistics as far as reducing the risk of recurrent events, reducing another heart attack in the future if right. you have disease. But it's it's really hard to
0: know what to do if you don't already have disease exactly. You know, I'm okay. curious. You know, Nick this this would be an interesting question. Would someone like Nick would he be a candidate to do some other type of testing of his heart. Like years ago, they had this coronary artery calcium score. There's stress testing. There's even angiograms, although I'd I'd be hard-pressed to suggest, Nick, an invasive test that you would do just to see if your heart's okay without having any other symptoms. But are any of these other imaging studies helpful? If, you know, 360 total cholesterol, it, it scares me, and I'm not even a cardiologist. But, you know, would anything like that be helpful for Nick or not really? I think what would be helpful for me, you know, trying
1: to assess him would be something like a stress test because we would get a functional uh, study,
0: not just you know, numbers. It would give you how, right. how fast and how far and how well can Nick go at like right. super stress. So when we put you under okay. stress, is there any evidence that your
1: heart is struggling? Um, I think something like a, a CT scan, which, which also does an angiogram, we can we can look at the arteries with a CT scan. In, in someone this young, you're unlikely to have calcium, which makes it difficult to read CT scans. Even just a calcium score to see if you do have calcium, I think those would be helpful in this case. Um, but, you know, they're not without their own set of risks. A calcium score usually is just the radiation from a CAT scan, and it's not that much radiation. But if we do an angiogram with a CAT scan, you still have contrast and you still have radiation. Mm-hmm radiation, so I'm not sure I would go that far, but maybe a calcium score um
0: I think would be helpful in just trying to determine your risk okay. All right, Nick. So you're an outlier. Here's the problem. We know a lot about people who have heart attacks and who have heart disease because then we check their cholesterol and we see what's going on with them. But, you know, if you've got this whole family and you guys are all outliers or maybe everybody has this really weird cholesterol issue, but nobody's ever had a heart problem. If you look back two or three generations, they never had their cholesterol checked. They never had a heart problem. So we don't know how many of you guys or girls are out there that have this wild high cholesterol and never have any consequences because it's really hard to, to figure out that total number of folks. So, you know, here you are, if you're doing your exercise, you're doing great, you're doing everything you can keep up the good work. And, you know, be monitored, be vigilant. If you get some troubles with your exercise capacity, go get that checked out. Because it sounds like, you know, you wouldn't want to look back 10 years from now and go, wow, my heart, I've had three high heart attacks I never knew about. And I never took care of that cholesterol. So, you know, might be something to do talk with your doc, do some exercise testing or something, get a good baseline. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Outlier Nick.
4: <laughs> thanks for the help.
0: Thank you. We have Shari on the phone from Honolulu. Shari, welcome to the Body Show. We just had an outlier telling us a story of scary cholesterol numbers, but he was okay. What kind of troubles have you got?
3: Hi. Um, thank you, doctors. Great discussion, by the way. And I don't have any problem, but I'm calling for my family members, specifically my brothers, sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, my I have two questions. And um my first question is uh is there a um a relationship between taking SSRI, the antidepressant medication, and high, very high triglycerides as in like under five hundred?
0: Okay, good question. Not that I know of. Not that
3: I know of. Okay. And then the next question I have is, um, what is, is there a normal level
0: of VLDL? Interesting. Is there a normal level of VLDL? Well, I just want to repeat your first question so people understand. Your question was, you know, antidepressants, we call them serotonin, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors or otherwise known as SSRIs. Are they associated with extremely high triglycerides? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. So your second question was a normal level of VLDL. That's one of those LDL subsets that sometimes right. people have on their blood test. And some of the labs here do that as a standard. Um Interesting. A VLDL. I'm thinking that you know, if we look at your LDL, and we want that to be low, less than 100, and VLDL is a subset, then I'm thinking it's got to be definitely less than 100. And for some reason, like 2030 is sitting in my head, but that's just a portion of your total LDL. Um, good question. And, and I'm thinking it's somewhere around that range. Did you have a particular test done that showed a VLDL that you were worried about?
3: Yeah, actually, I have. I've seen at least 10 different blood tests throughout the many years. Because my, my family and my friends consult with me when it comes to cholesterol. I just learned a lot about it. And uh, um, my, my sister had a really, really high triglycerides. It was, I think she, it was 480. And her bad cholesterol, her LDL was also bad. And the VLDL, the very bad cholesterol, was really high. And I had asked her to, to get rid of all the, the 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 sweets, the junk food, and her. And after about one year, her triglyceride level definitely increased. It
0: went down from four hundred to like hundred eighty. So, like, basically, when she took your advice and she lowered her intake of all the foods that you told her to avoid, she got better.
3: Yes, and that, it didn't take, it, it didn't happen right away. It took at least one year for her to stay in the exact same diet. I had given her, uh, I had asked her to take fish oil, which she did, you know, religiously, because the doctor said that, my doctor said that triglycerides, uh, fish oil helps triglyceride level. But the VLDO, you know, stays about Maybe like around 30. And the reason why I thought that's high is because mine is really, really low. But I have a very high HDL. My HDL went up to 102 at one point, and my my VLDL was like around 5 to 8. And this is throughout the last 25 years.
0: That's why everybody asks you for advice is because, sure, you're doing awesome. Now, VLDL, I just took a look, and it says normal here is between 2 and 30. So normal VLDLs are between 2 and 30. So your number of 5 makes sense. Her level of 30 is still considered normal but kind of on those upper limits. So okay. it sounds like if everybody just followed what you did – you know, that's an amazing HDL you got of over 100. That's pretty awesome. So, you know, I tell people when their HDL is that high, that's your good cholesterol. It's like you got Drano in your arteries. That's 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 great. So, if she just followed what you did, it's not overnight, but she may actually see better numbers. Dr. PK on average, when you see people who work on their cholesterol, it's it's not overnight. This takes a while. It is definitely not overnight
1: unless they really completely only eat, uh, you know, I see I say twigs and
0: berries. And but then, there's a certain a amount of time, right? You know, it, yes. it's going
1: to take a couple of weeks, it usually if takes, not a month or two. It usually takes a couple of months. A couple of months. Yeah, at least. And um, again, everybody's different because we all know very skinny people who seem to exercise and don't eat that bad, and they still have high levels.
0: Yeah, that's when that whole not fair thing
1: yeah. happens. Yeah, But most of us know we could make changes that would make our levels better.
0: Yeah, I know. So why don't we? I mean, should we just all be scared and go, you know, I mean, go watch an angiogram or go look at some plaque or stare at triglycerides at a test tube? Maybe that would help. It might help. It
1: might actually help to see that. We all need motivation um, because if it's not immediate right in front of us, it's hard to make the change, I think.
0: I think we need scare tactics. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm willing to have some scare tactics. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here in the studio with cardiology expert, Dr. Laura Lyra-Pique. And we are talking today about heart disease. Don't get it. But if you do, we're going to talk about what you can do if you have had that stent placed or you have had that other that other test done what are some of the other things you can do to really help if your cholesterol is high or if you have these risk factors how can you make sure that you don't have a serious heart problem in the future because it's really never too late you can join our conversation 941-3689 toll free neighbor islands 877-941-3689 we'll be right back stay with us If you want to know more details about HPR's history and mission, or
1: information on how to donate a car, rent the Atherton Studio, or just want to send an email to someone on the staff, you'll find it all at hawaiipublicradio.org. Go to the link called About HPR and check out the pull-down menu. It's all there. The HPR website. It's just a click away.
0: The little dragon leapt up with a start, and she screamed. He wagged his tail
1: ecstatically, and costume jewelry clanked beneath his red belly. He was all attention.
2: I'm Stephen Colbert, and this week on Selected Shorts, Women Who Love Dragons, from PRI, Public Radio International. Tuesday at
3: 5 p.m., following Travel with Rick Steves.
0: Aloha, Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with Dr. Laura Lyra-Pique. We are talking about heart disease today. Don't get it. If you have it, it's not too late. There's still some stuff you can do. Now, we were just talking to two folks. We had Nick, the guy with really high cholesterol, but exercising all the time. And Sherry, she was the, the woman who everybody asks her for advice, and when they follow it, they get better. So lots of interesting things people have had to say about heart disease. Now, before that, we were talking a little bit about angiograms and stents and what we put in arteries. And and if that doesn't seem to be helping or if it just seems like you have blockages that are just too many, that's when the big bad bypass surgery comes into play. And that's that's a pretty invasive surgery and certainly life-saving. If you need to have it, you should do it. But hopefully, we'll be able to not have as many people need it because we'll work on it a little bit earlier and bring those numbers down. Now, Dr. Piquet, let's say you have stents. Okay. You can still have a problem. You can still have progression of your heart disease. What do you do then? Well, you know, when you think about it, having a stent
1: doesn't really cure your disease. And if you think about, you know, the way you talked about it before with the house and the structure and the plumbing and whatnot, if you have a clog in your artery and you open up that clog, that's great. But what are you going to do to keep that clog from coming back? So when we put a stent in an artery, it restores blood flow acutely opens the artery up, but it doesn't stop the process of your body making more plaque. So that's why we still want you to take these medications to get your cholesterol down and you know, keep your blood pressure under control, exercise and that sort of thing.
0: So even if you haven't done it before and you get a stent, right. you still need to work on the standard stuff, watch the diet watch the intake do the exercise take your medications is it it's probably even more important at that point to take your medicine because you know you have a process that right. leads to blockages stents put a put a nice little opening into that p- blockage but it doesn't fix the process. Right. What I really love to see is there are some people who actually are more healthy after they had their heart
1: attack or their bypass surgery or their stent because now they're paying attention. And they make these changes
0: in their lifestyle. And they they feel so much better. And their lives are so much better. And that's really great. Well, and that's part of what, you know, if... if People want to go to the conference on Saturday. There's going to be a patient experience, and they're going to talk a little bit about what that means and how that changed their lives. We've got a couple of callers on the line. We've got Paul from Maui. Paul, welcome to the Body Show.
2: Yes, hello. Uh, thank you very much for your show. Um, uh, I'm I'm calling him because uh, I've been I haven't done this yet, but uh, my cholesterol is up around 270. It's been up there for quite a while. And uh, but I have a couple friends who have tried this. And uh, I keep meaning to try it, and it's reduced their cholesterol at least by 100 points. It's called red yeast rice, and I was wondering what the doctor uh, thought of that, if if she's heard of that before.
1: Yeah, well, red yeast rice, it's been around for a long time, and uh, red yeast rice is actually the reason that we have statins. When people notice that it did lower cholesterol levels, the... People in labs decided to try and synthesize it, and they did. So red yeast rice and statins are very similar. Uh, The thing that lowers cholesterol in statins is essentially the same thing that's in the red yeast rice. Um, So it can lower your cholesterol. Um, I think you still need to monitor for the side effects that you can get with these, um, you know, chemical statins, although the risk of those problems seems to be lower. The effectiveness seems to be a little bit lower compared to the chemicals. Um, But, yes, I think it can work. Um, Now, there also has been some problem in the last couple of years. People talked about not getting the real thing because there was such a big demand for it. It wasn't uh, really as available. So what you were getting in your pills might not be the real thing.
2: I see. Okay, well, thank you.
0: All right, Paul. Thanks for calling us from Maui. Great question. If you've got a question, now's your chance to ask an expert. You can join us at 941-3689, Toll Free Neighbor Islands, 877-941-3689. Dr. PK statins, we find a lot of good things about them. Some studies have shown they reduce the risk of Alzheimer's, and that's totally independent of their effect on cholesterol. Other studies have shown that they do some other really good things. Overall studies have shown in some cases taking statins reduces the risk for certain types of cancer. On the other hand, there's there's other risks we're finding out about. Um, they might increase the risk of diabetes in certain postmenopausal women. It, what should we do? I mean, I think statins are great medications for the right individual, but there's there's a lot of scare about them. Should we be scared of statins or should we be more scared of heart disease? I think we should be more scared of heart disease, actually. It's like sort of the
1: red wine controversy. People always want to drink red wine because they want to drink red wine, but they don't want to exercise. And what has the, the bigger impact? It's the exercise. But I digress. Let's get back to statins. Um, Heart disease, again, it is the leading cause of death in people, and it doesn't just make you die. It can make you ill. It can really affect your life in a bad way. So we want to do everything we can to reduce the risk of that happening. And statins clearly... Um, do reduce the risk of progression of heart disease, the progression of those plaques. If you've had a heart attack, it reduces your risk of having a second heart attack. I think if you have had heart disease, we've seen it on an angiogram, you had a stent, you had a heart attack, you had bypass surgery, you should definitely be on a statin. Now, if you have side effects, if it's, you know, causing other worse problems, then, you know, we need to work around that. But you should, if you have the diagnosis, you should definitely be on a statin. Where it becomes more difficult is if you don't have heart disease yet, you're just trying to prevent it from happening. And then with anything, you have to weigh the risk and the benefit of it. But in general, statins are safe as long as they're monitored. And you should be seeing your doctor at least twice a year. You should be getting your cholesterol levels checked um, twice a year. You should be getting your liver checked. If you have any symptoms like muscle weakness joint weakness. You should report those to your doctor immediately. There are blood tests that can help check for the bad things that can happen with statins. In general, if you have side effects from statins and you stop the medication, the problem goes away. It's only rarely that there is a permanent long-standing problem, or if you're having a problem and you don't get off
0: the medication right away, that's when you can have a long-term problem. Well, and there's different types of statins, too. There's two big groups. There's what I would call water-soluble statins, and then what I would call fat-soluble statins. And those things, the reason it's different is it just has to do with how the body metabolizes them. The ones that are water-soluble tend to be um, not as strong, but they also have less side effects. The ones that are right. fat-soluble, a little stronger, but you might have more side effects. So if you're on one that gives you a little bit of trouble, you could switch to to another one that might not give you the same problem.
1: I like to see, I I, I would hope that my patients would be willing to do this, but I like to see people try at least three statins before we decide you have problems with the whole group because you're right. They are different. Um, There are some, you know, you've heard this, you should only take them at night. You shouldn't drink grapefruit juice with them. That's not true for all of them. It's only for some of them, but we kind of just use it as a general rule so that we don't forget to give that advice. But there are differences between the statins. So just because one doesn't do well with you, another one could actually do really well. That's right. So most of my patients are willing to try another one at a very low dose. Now, there are certain dosages that seem to be more effective, and it's usually the higher doses. But the higher doses also have more risk of side effects. So hopefully you and your doctor will be willing to sort of bargain, try a different statin, maybe at a
0: lower dose, and see how you tolerate it. Because really what you're trying to do is prevent heart disease. You know, you're trying to keep somebody alive. It's certainly, you know, not because we have any sort of love of of statins that we just want everybody on them because we get a benefit really it's about the individual and their heart that's right and it's about what's going to keep them alive and healthy the longest you're right some people are afraid of of heart disease but say if i have a big heart attack and i die okay my family's taken care of but it's it's not that easy because if you have a heart attack that makes you have continual chronic fatigue and problems with your heart not functioning instead of 100% now it functions 20% maybe 30% now you've got a bigger problem because you are around but you can't do the activities you used to and although you don't want to be you might become a burden for the rest of your family having to do everything for you because you no longer can for yourself. If there's one thing I know that people don't want to think about, it's ever being a burden for family members. And so if you can do something to prevent that, that's extra bonus. You know, definitely you also get the prevention against strokes, which also helps. And that will will increase your likelihood of living as long as you can, as healthy and functional and independent as possible, which is Probably one of the big keys. Now we've got we've got another caller on the line. We have Kala calling from Waikiki. Kala, welcome to the Body Show.
4: Hi, aloha. Good evening. Um, just a few questions about statins and Coenzyme CoQ10. Good questions. Uh, okay. Through my research, I've heard that uh, statins can deplete the CoQ10 in your system and also reduce other hormones which uh, protect from Alzheimer's disease and other possible factors, but um, I was wondering why most doctors don't prescribe CoQ10 with a statin.
0: Interesting, because, you know, we must be reading opposite stuff. The stuff I've looked at with statins and Alzheimer's actually shows a benefit that, you know, when we think about these neurofibrillary tangles, these amyloid plaques that occur in, in Alzheimer's disease, we see that people on statins have a decreased risk of having those plaques. So, you know, it actually has to do, well, with something, some relationship between statins and these neurofibrillary tangles. So I'm reading uh, decreased risk of Alzheimer's,
4: but you bring up um, a really
0: important question my about... my
4: research, I've heard that due to the reduction in the fat content in the brain, but with the low cholesterol reading, that well, it could cause increases in Alzheimer's disease because it's affecting the mitochondria, basically leading to mitochondrial dysfunction. So well,
0: and see, what well, what I'm referencing are, yeah, they're sort of, you know, it looks at it from the different perspectives. So the articles that I'm looking at are referencing a statistical decrease in the number of people with Alzheimer's on statins. So it sounds like you're looking at the, this is the way that it could be. Let's take a look at it from the decreased amount of cholesterol in the brain and fat in the brain available for brain cells. And the research that I'm looking at is saying, let's look at all the people on statins. Now let's go ahead and let's take a look at how many have Alzheimer's. So it's kind of looking at it from a different perspective. Mine is sort of retrospective statistical analysis and yours is sort of prospective, let's take a look at the neurobiochemistry. I honestly suspect that the real answer is probably going to be something in between because, you know, we see people they've done a study and they looked at um, actually there was a physician study where they took a bunch of people and they were mainly guys um, but they were looking at let's let's take those on statins and see how many what is the statistical chance of them developing Alzheimer's so they're looking at this population saying boy there were only three percent in the group that had statins and there were 13 percent in the group that didn't. So that's the way they're looking at it. But but what you bring up is a really important point about neurobiology because that's a field that we're really just starting to get into and trying to figure out what the brain does. So I think that we're probably going to find the truth is somewhere in between what I'm looking at and what you're looking at. But your other that's question it. is really good, the I coenzyme have um... Well, okay, we haven't yet gotten to your coenzyme Q10 one, so hold on to your next question because I'm okay. curious about the answer to the very first one. So that's a really interesting point. I've heard some interesting things about coenzyme Q10 and about whether or not it should be administered along with statins. Yeah. Dr. Piquet, do you, do you tell people to take both? I usually don't only because i I don't have any any recommendations to do that, but it might make sense. What, what do you do? Um,
1: it seems to make sense. It probably makes sense. I think we don't know for sure. you know again, there's a lot of um there are a lot of things written, there are a lot of things stated. The research seems to support that coenzyme q ten may help that. There is some evidence that it does reduce the levels, but it's um It's unclear. I think it may help. If someone does have weakness, muscle weakness, or they're concerned about it, I will tell them that they can take CoQ10. I think CoQ10 is a reasonable thing to do. There's no evidence that it hurts you. My issue with CoQ10 is it tends to be one of the more expensive supplements. And people are already taking a lot of things. They're already spending money on a lot of things. And because I don't have really strong data... I have a hard time saying, uh, yes, you should definitely do this. But I don't object to it, and I suggest it if
0: people do have side effects. All right, so uh, what was your next question, Carla? Uh,
4: inflammation. I was curious. Um, I didn't hear too much information about inflammation. And I hear, our, through my research, I feel that inflammation is a major major cause of atherosclerosis and heart disease, not so much cholesterol. Um, You're right, Carla. cholesterol had a kind of a bad reputation for so many years but i think the information the current information is kind of changing it's more towards inflammation and sugar in your diet and of course um, fluctuating blood um, too much fluctuating of your blood sugar which is causing a lot of inflammation from your diet well, you know
0: what, Dr. Pika, you mentioned that earlier. You said yeah. that when you have arteries, and Kala, what we were talking about and referencing is how do you get blockages, right? Because there's a lot of folks that have high cholesterol, but they don't have blockages. And there's people with blockages and like, what's up? Their cholesterol's low. So Dr. Pique, one of the things you mentioned was this, this event that occurs in the arteries. And you mentioned diabetes affects this, and blood pressure affects this. That event leads to a cascade, which results in plaque. Right. What is that initial event? Is that kind of what Kyle is referencing, like yes. inflammation? Actually, it is, yeah. Um, so like I said, the reason
1: that we we think that uh, cholesterol is the problem is that when you take a plaque apart, That's it's mostly there. made out of plaque. But something has to start that plaque forming. And I do believe it's inflammation. I think that we're going to find out a lot more about inflammation and how it causes disease and how it causes a type of heart disease and vascular disease that doesn't have to do with plaque, just the pure inflammation alone. I mean, we see people who look like they're having a heart attack, will do an angiogram, and we don't see any plaque but they're acting like they're having a heart attack, and their heart looks weakened. It usually recovers, but there's something going on, and I do think that's inflammation. We see younger and younger people having heart attacks. I think it's inflammation. I think it has something to do with a diet. I'm not sure that it's, uh, I, you know, I think sugar has part to do with it, but I think there are other things that we're eating in our processed foods. But, you know, that's kind of a whole nother thing that's out there that I I think you're right. There's a lot of data coming out about it. There's not a lot of sort of the hard data research that that we as doctors have to rely on yet. But um, I think that's going to be key into our understanding in the future.
0: Well, and I, you know, it's funny because when you look at the Anti-Inflammatory Diet, there's some books out there about that. And the curious thing about it is that it's all about eating fresh fruits and vegetables and not eating processed foods and making sure you're getting enough of your daily vitamins and minerals. And I mean, it kind of gets back to eat healthy, right. exercise, yes. and don't necessarily get all your food from a box or from from a freezer or make sure you eat something fresh every once in a while.
1: Whether it's to reduce um, your blood pressure or your
0: diabetes or your inflammation, it really still comes down to that. Well, and it's interesting because there's this inflammatory marker. You know, they look at inflammation levels, CRP, C-reactive protein, which is something that is increased with inflammation. And how interesting it's also increased with heart disease. So you're right. I think we're on the cutting edge now. Maybe as more people, unfortunately, wind up in a situation where we're saying, okay, there's so many more people with heart disease. We've got to do something. Maybe we'll find out some more about it in the future that will hopefully help to prevent it for most folks. Well, this is where research takes us. So, you know, when we
1: looked at heart disease, we looked at plaques, we were focused on cholesterol, but clearly, a lot of people with low cholesterol levels. Um, still have heart disease. So it's got to be something other than cholesterol. And that leads us to this idea of inflammation. And they thought it was maybe your dental hygiene that was the problem. But maybe it's not that. Maybe it is inflammation. We talked about blood clotting. People measure blood clotting markers. You know, there are things that explain some cases but not all cases. So we don't really have the final answer on what causes heart disease. We can say statistically you're at higher risk if you have these markers. And you should do everything you can to get those under
0: control. First thing I got to do, get the shoes on, go walking, but work up a sweat. That's right. Don't just, you know, la la la. Hell's Don't your just day. stroll. Don't just stroll. Did you see me strolling? You might have caught me strolling. All right. And if you want to hear more, there's an event this weekend that's going on Valentine in Paradise. That's going to be at the Alamoana Hotel, eight thirty in the morning till noon. Boy, in three and a half hours, you can learn a lot about the heart. If you want to hear more about it, you can go to um, HawaiiPacificHealth.org/slash Valentine in Paradise. You can also call to register 522-3469. It's not just at the downtown location. You can also Watch this, Polymomy Medical Center, also over at our neighbor friends in Kauai, Wilcox Memorial, great conference. Thanks, Dr. Pique, for being on today. Thank you very much. Dr. Laura Larry-Rupike is an invasive cardiology expert at Straub Clinic. If you'd like to hear this program again, check out our podcast, hawaiipublicradio.org. Hawaii our engineer, David Chong, executive producer, Beth Ann Koslovich. We're going to see you next Monday right here at 5 on The Body Show. See you.